Okay. Um, I love hearing myself. I must say I'm just, it sounds so good in my ears. <clears throat> okay. Shall we? We shall. Everyone, welcome to another episode of Petty Politics, bringing you the petty and the political. All the time, all the time, especially in the holiday season. Oh yes, it's <laughs> holiday season. <laughs> hey, it's Cam. It's Bree. And welcome back. I know it's been a minute. Look, school. school finals. Okay. And we're actually going to tell you guys about it. So here let's we just go. get Capitalizing into it. Capitalizing off of a situation. Quite literally. All right. We're just going to tell you all the pains we've been through over the past month or so, mm-hmm. and then we're going to talk about all the pain that the country has been through. Because and yeah, because a lot of pain. There. I, I, I don't even. We don't even know where to start with that. So let's just jump right in. <sighs> so what are we talking about today, Cam? So today in life and the law, we're actually just going to vent about finals. So we're just <laughs> we're just going to tell you about all the stuff we've been doing and all of the lessons we haven't learned from class and how we're cramming to fit it all in. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I don't even know what to add there. <laughs> That's how stressful it is, but we're going to get through it. That's the thing. That's Truly. the main point. For the political, we have a bunch of things to get through. We're going to talk about the tax bill that recently passed both the House and the Senate. We're going to mm-hmm. get a little bit into some of the details of it and why it's terrible. Next, we'll talk about sexual harassment and assault in politics. So mm-hmm. over the past it's couple an, of it's months... It's an epidemic. It's an ep- epidemic. Of course. Of yeah. course. Over the past couple of months, we've been seeing how sexual assault has taken a center stage, but for some reason hasn't really hit Capitol Hill yet. So we're going to go into the details of that and find out why that is. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to talk about Haywood High School in Tennessee and a really controversial, confusing, racist incident involving Snapchat and the N-word. Yeah. What about the petty? So today on the petty, we're going to talk about Colin Kaepernick and how he received the Muhammad Ali Legacy Award. The racists were pissed, of look, course. Look. <laughs> Tommy Lauren. She's back. She did. She's, I know, back and worse than ever on Twitter talking about Beyonce. If you're a B fan, please, please go sting her. <laughs> uh, we're also going to talk about Malia Obama and her terrible friends. Don't worry, Malia. We are at Harvard and we are here for you, baby. Just come over to that law friends. school. Exactly. Just well, I don't come to the law school because they set you up, baby. But we got you. <laughs> are you ready? I'm ready. Let's get started. All right, life in the law. Today, we're just going to talk a little bit about final season because that's what we're in the throes of right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like it's ever going to end. I, I just don't see Well, the, it definitely will end. You do I don't have an end, end I don't see <laughs> the light at the end of the tunnel right now. You don't have unlimited time to do your finals, unfortunately. So it Oof. definitely does end. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and it depends on the day that your last final will be administered. My last final is administered on December the 13th, and that is the light that I am looking forward to. <laughs> I'm praying. I'm praying. 
So we have a finals period. It goes for about a couple of weeks. I think it starts December 11th this year. And is, it is that ends. when it starts? Yeah. Well, well, classes end on December the 5th, so. Right. So they've already ended. And now we have kind of a reading period, and then we start finals officially on the 11th. And they go all the way until, I think, the 19th. Yeah. So it's really weird. You have folks here that are actually going to be leaving town right before Christmas and then coming back coming right, right after back. New Year's. You yeah, know? because we don't have that whole month-long break that you get in undergrad for a winter vacation. I really miss it. We have, like, a week. <laughs> you literally, <laughs> and then we January right 2nd. Back. Yeah, January 2nd, the day after New Year's, they say we welcome come back. right back. Exactly. Welcome back. Like back come learn. Come learn. <laughs> <laughs> we aren't through with you yet. <laughs> so, yeah, here at Harvard, we have a bunch of different formats for our exams. Most of them are involving different types of papers. We have some exams that you take in. I don't think that most of them are papers. I think that in essence they are, though the medium we use is different. So, yeah, for example, exam yeah. so for example, we have a three-hour final exam that you'll take in class, right? Very few people actually end up doing that because professors realize that a three-hour exam usually isn't enough time to cram all of the knowledge we've learned into that, you know, piece of, of writing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our exams actually end up being eight hours in total. And these are usually ones that we take at home or off campus somewhere where we can kind of dig into it take breaks you have to literally well don't be I, when i get an eight hour exam i usually don't even take a break for my civ pro exam was eight hours oh, yeah. i didn't leave that table oh yeah no. yeah so it's not don't be mistaken it's not a time that you can just get up and kind of leisure around the house and do what you want to do you're actually taking that exam your break will be to the restroom and you'll be running back oh literally because eight hours is not even enough i've taken my laptop to the bathroom as I was working. Yeah. People will be taking working lunches. They're barely keeping hydrated because they're yeah. literally typing for eight hours yeah, straight. Yeah, eight hours straight. And you mostly want to just pack a lunch and keep it at the table if you want to eat. So those are the main two types. The rest of the folks end up just doing different types of uh, papers that their professors want them to do, which is the majority of work that people are doing. 20, 30-page papers on mm -hmm. some interesting issue that they actually care about, yeah. which is usually what I prefer, because that way I don't feel like there's a particular prompt that I have to fit my answers into. Mm -hmm. Instead, I can think clearly about something I want to talk about. Usually I've built up an idea throughout the semester, and then when it's finally time to write about it, I can bring all of that knowledge together and usually I get the best grades when I do that. <laughs> I mean, I usually get the best grades when I'm very interested in, in the class in general. So that's a thing. But I this semester have a mix between papers and in-class finals. I really actually only have one in-class final and then I have two papers. And then I took advanced LRW, which is advanced legal research and writing. For mm. those who don't know the acronym, but... We just had to submit a final assignment at the end, so it's not so bad. For oh, me. so you're done with that class already? I'm I'm completely done. I'm done with that, and I also finished one of my papers, so I just have one final Ooh, and one wow. paper to go. Oh, you're working quickly. Oh yeah, quickly. Ugh. I'm trying to get back to my daughter. I'm trying. <laughs> also true. Yeah, right, that's a thing. True. That's a thing. I'm trying to finish things really early too. I'm actually leaving town pretty early. I'm leaving before finals period <laughs> actually starts because all of my exams are going to be remote exams. We even have exams here at Harvard that you can take any time within that exam window. So mm -hmm. between the 11th and the 19th, you can literally choose, all right, you know, today I'm going to take the exam. You know, say yeah. it's, a, it's a Tuesday, I'm chilling. You can take it that day, which is yeah. actually kind of nice because it gives you the choice to be more flexible. But then you all oftentimes will end up procrastinating until the very last minute 
I've definitely done an exam on the last day because I was like, whoops, I forgot that I needed to do that. Oh, God. So what do you think is the most difficult thing about finals period in general? I think for me, it's trying to synthesize all of the information we've learned throughout the entire semester. So in law school, we don't have midterm exams or any real method of checking your knowledge throughout the year. It's literally one exam, end of the year, dump all of the knowledge you've learned from <laughs> September until now yeah. and, and pray that you get a yeah. grade. 100% of our grades are contingent upon our final exam performance. So, And I've always, I've, I personally have issues with that just because I think that on top of the fact that we don't have a lot of reviewing tools throughout the year. Or any. Means that you have to really rely on your own memory or on other people providing you with knowledge through outlines or old exams that they produce. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that that's very complicated. I also think that it produces a me- method of grading that may be discriminatory towards certain people who, mm. aren't, who aren't used to studying in certain ways. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I first came to law school, the most difficult thing was learning how to actually take a law school exam. Right. Because there is a method to the madness. You have to know how to write an exam in order to excel, and you have to know the audience you're writing for. And if you're coming from undergrad, where you're... Uh, I was a legal studies major even. It still didn't even prepare me to learn how to write a law school exam. And I think it's because there aren't really a lot of standards that you're expected to produce in your exam. Mm -hmm. There's no particular rhyme or reason. Oftentimes the only real directions you get are a word limit. And so there isn't really a, a standard way for you to set up your ideas, to show your work, to cite to different cases. Exactly. You kind of just find your own way and pray that the professor understands and cares about what you've written. You yeah, know? and if they don't, then you're stuck with a grade that you don't think is right for you, that does not indicate your academic inclination correctly because you are writing something in such a constrained manner, so it's, yeah. it's difficult. I think it's unique, too, that we use old exams to prepare ourselves here. So mm-hmm. oftentimes when we're preparing for an exam, we have a, actually an outline bank of notes from different students, and then we have an exam bank of past questions and answers with the grades attached to them. And that's a student-run project. We mm-hmm. have just put yeah. this information together on our own. And so you'll literally look at an old exam and look at an old answer and say, okay, I should fashion my answer a little bit like this. Or you can take a practice exam and then look at an old answer to see, all right, this person got an H, which is a high pass, does my answer meet up to their expectations? And that's how I choose to study. So normally, I sometimes I literally will take the exam with my old exam answers up mm-hmm. because I need to see how that compares. I need to make sure that my answer is something that the teacher will p- most likely like because, again, you don't know. So it's very complicated. Exactly. This semester is particularly unique to me as well because I'm taking a course at the Graduate School of Education here at oh, Harvard. Wow. So it actually is weird because I'm taking law school exams, which I've kind of gotten used to at this point. Mm-hmm. But I'm also doing a project and a presentation in this ed school course, which actually makes me do finance and make a PowerPoint presentation and deliver a speech. And so it's, it's kind of refreshing, actually, oh, wow. to see that Law school actually is pretty abnormal in its testing. It and is. I can go back to kind of being normal or even how I used to do exams or presentations in college. Um, and so it's actually really refreshing. I'm preparing one right now on a nonprofit consulting uh, idea that I have for education. So uh, wish awesome. me luck on that because I need that grade to also be bobbing. No, it will be. It will be. You've been working hard on that. 
Well, to folks who understand the struggle, who are currently in the throes of it, we're wishing you all the best. May the horse be with you. May the grave also be with you, okay? Go for that. May the professors be with you. Truly, truly. So today in The Political, we're going to get into the tax bill. That's honestly an entire segment on its own. It could be, but we're going to try to break it down for you guys within a certain lot of time. Uh, We're also going to talk about sexual harassment, particularly within politics, and Haywood High School's racist Snapchat remarks. Let's start with the tax bill. I'm pretty sure most of you have heard about this. It's been all over the news for the past couple of weeks. And right now is a really pivotal moment because it has finally passed the House and the Senate. Mm -hmm. So basically what happened, and this is kind of basic legislative process for folks, is that the House came out with a bill. A lot of the elements of it were then taken over to the Senate, where the Senate added its own tweaks to it. And that was finally passed last week. Now it's going to go back to the House. They're going to look at the Senate bill, make any changes they want. And this actually begins the final process where we have a final bill that can pass the House, the Senate, and then get signed by the president. The problem is we don't want that to happen. Well, it's probably going to happen. It, He's already endorsed. Look, it, it likely will. But a lot of the commentary that we've seen on the tax bill and looking at pieces of the tax bill itself has shown this has been a very rushed process. I mean, it has. It has no bipartisan support. None of the Democrats are backing this bill. Exactly. A lot of the deal making was made behind closed doors with, for example, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell going and talking to different senators, offering them special provisions that can help their state in order to get their vote. And mm-hmm. ultimately, it looks like it worked. I actually was up trying to watch the vote. I, I was up past midnight here on the East Coast watching a live feed on Facebook where you see time after time different amendments are being brought by Democrats saying, all right, let's slow this process down. Let's make a provision that guarantees that these middle class tax cuts will be permanent. Let's have a stopgap measure in case these tax cuts don't actually bring job growth and don't bring you know, a surplus in our in our GDP. Mm-hmm. All of those things were actually rejected by the Republicans in these really long, drawn-out votes that went way into the early morning. I actually fell asleep watching the Facebook feed and didn't even wake up the next morning to find out that it had been finally passed. So it's kind of like this really clandestine, rushed process where you see senators on Facebook Live themselves showing, you know, here's the bill, it's hundreds of pages long, really hefty, and then you'll look at a page from it and you'll see that there are actually handwritten notes to show the amendments that are made because they were made so short a time ago and they were made in such a haphazard manner that on the margins of the bill, you'll literally see change this part, add in this new subsection with really substantive, important changes to the tax code. We actually had uh, Cory Booker on Facebook Live trying his best to read out the bill in time for preparation to vote on it. So it's, it's clear that when this vote was made, few people, if any, had actually had time to read thoroughly this bill. Well, of course. I think that this is this administration's effort to get some type of powerful legislation pushed because they haven't been able to do anything remarkable within the past 10 months. And so this is definitely their opportunity to show that they're able to do 
anything reformative within the legislation, and they're failing. I think that even if they do pass, then this is not a success on behalf of the government because it's so partisan. And, and it's very clear that there are folks that want this to happen because it will directly benefit them. And those folks are often the most wealthy, the top 1%, these corporations, right, and the owners of these corporations. And, and that's my issue. So this bill clearly focuses on the top 1%. Under the proposal, the corporate tax rate will be slashed from 35% to 20%, which is clearly looking at corporations and the most wealthy in the community. And what does it do for the middle class? Nothing, right? <laughs> Nothing, We have exactly. these tax cuts that are, are set in place at the onset, mm-hmm. but we've already had data coming from the Congressional Budget Office, from economists, from tax experts, saying that these aren't permanent and that actually 10 years from now, these will actually lead to increases in the taxes for the middle class. And it, and it works because, for example, with the Senate bill, there was a special provision to remove the Obamacare individual mandate, basically mm-hmm. the core function of Obamacare that kept it working. By removing the individual mandate, it really guts the program and leads people to move back to our old system mm-hmm. of private insurance. Exactly. Meaning that people are going to have to pay higher premiums. They're not going to have guaranteed health coverage. And that's going to be an increased cost to them, even if they're getting more tax. Yeah. So most importantly, the removal of the individual mandate, it takes us back to a time, a very neoliberal time Mm. where they're able to offer these privatized health systems and people are not able to access them. So accessibility is really on the forefront here. Even the former central bank had said about the bill that it needs to focus more on reducing the deficit as opposed to heading off of inflation. And that's what it's doing by creating these individual, removing these individual mandates and creating these small tax credit, like the child tax credit, that do little more than add a little bit more money back in. But in the long run, it's going to take it all back out. One thing in particular that I thought was interesting, we actually watched a debate on CNN on the tax bill Right before it was passed, it involved Senators Tim Scott and Ted Cruz on the Repu- from the Republican uh, Party, and it also involved Senators Bernie Sanders and Maria Cantwell of the Democratic Party and or in the Independents, right? And, and during that debate, we heard a lot of the same talking points brought up, but there wasn't really a lot to back up the ideas that were being brought up. So, for example, the argument that Ted Cruz was making, and honestly, the argument being made by Republicans throughout the the party is that by allowing tax cuts, you put the money directly into the hands of the taxpayer and they have the choice to use that money how they see fit, mm-hmm. as opposed to giving that money to the government and allowing the government to choose how that money to redistribute is used. that money. Right. Yeah, the social goods. And so on faith that seems very legitimate. Right. That isn't the problem. The idea is that in doing that and giving that money directly to the people, you're not being accountable for the money that's going to the top one percent and to the most wealthy folks who Mm -hmm. aren't redistributing that money. There is no trickle down economics in that. Well, they think that there is a trickle down economics. They think that if they put more money in the one percent, then it's going to create jobs that low wage growth and high employment will inherently descend because these people are going to be able to give people jobs. But even during this tax debate that we watched, someone stood up who was a corporate CEO and he said, that doesn't work. If you put more more money into corporations, we're not going to give people more jobs. And this isn't the first time we've tried this. We've had major tax cuts for the wealthy, for corporations in the past. And oftentimes those have been the problems that have actually led to some of the worst economic 
issues we've dealt with, the, the depression, uh, the recession, are examples of that. Exactly. And so this tax plan that's coupled with deregulation and higher infrastructure spending only is even supposed to help the economy by 3%. One thing that I thought was really interesting that was brought up by Senator Sanders during the debate is that the next iteration of this project after the tax bill is passed, hopefully, you know, knocking on wood that it isn't. Yeah, here we go. (laughs) Is that Republicans will be calling for a measure to reduce spending and to reduce the deficit, which they are increasing through this tax bill by over a trillion dollars. So what Senator Sanders has predicted is that the next step will be to look at welfare reform, to be looking at entitlement programs, and for Republicans to be saying, we actually need to reduce spending on, for example, federal financial aid. We need to be reducing programs that, you know, provide services to the poor and to the needy and to the disabled because those entitlement programs are the problem. So it's really it's, a bait and switch so in really weird ways. Yeah, I think it's so crazy that the rhetoric always shifts to critique the poor and what we do for them as opposed to circulating this money more responsibly. So we're, we have no opposition uh, to putting money into war and into exactly exactly. but when it comes to the poor it's always something that's a problem military spending is the highest budget issue exactly we don't look at that we look at the second which is medicare and medicaid and that is actually going to probably be the target of a lot of these spending cuts not to mention that the bill has a lot of other random special provisions. For example, it opens the Arctic Wildlife Refuge to drilling. That's going to be a great windfall for oil companies that are trying to get back into the business under the Trump administration. There's also a really weird endowment um, tax provision that actually prevents one specific school from having to pay taxes um, to the federal government because they were actually determined to be discriminatory in their admissions policies and in their handling of of sensitive issues with their students. So the way that these bills are being crafted makes it very clear that people, lobbyists, are going up to Republican senators and and House members, telling them something that they want in order for their Mm -hmm. support to be received, and then putting these random provisions into the bill that have nothing to do with taxes, nothing to do with economics, you know, in in any major way. But as our process works, we don't, as the public, have a lot of tools to look into these bills, to read them carefully, and to realize how problematic it is for us to have these They waited so long to show this bill to the public, and that was a big problem. But this bill is just simply going to do very little for growth, for economic growth. I mean, it's been said by economists across the board, and we've seen it happen over the years. Once you increase the deficit, you increase the demand for funds, and you're crowding out capital investment. And capital investment is a key to demanding productivity and growth. And so, again, this bill is futile. This bill is partisan. This bill... (laughs) Trifling. (laughs) Trifling. This bill is petty. Struggling. (laughs) And it might get passed. We'll just have to keep an eye on that part. But they're trying to make it... it. They're trying to make it a Christmas, you know, gift to the country. What? How is it going to be a Christmas gift? Well, in time for Christmas. So they're definitely working to get something passed within the next couple of weeks. Well, I was wondering about that because, I, you know, I have a baby. So that child tax credit... (laughs) 
I mean, look. I, don't, I mean, if it's going to double. <laughs> I mean, if not, I, right. And, and that's okay for you because you need that money, right? But I once do. You, I do. If, Flesh, when you join the, the, the wealthy class, and maybe we're going to start talking a little bit more about you giving that money to, uh, you know, the, the less fortunate. <laughs> maybe you got to donate that. You would call me out on Petty Politics about that. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> Let's get into sexual harassment in politics. The epidemic. Truly. So over the past couple of months now, we've seen a lot of news events based on sexual harassment, based on the abuse of power, oftentimes by wealthy white men, oftentimes involving women that were involved in their in their careers, either serving in their staff, um, oftentimes having to rely on these men for careers themselves. So oftentimes we've seen, starting with Harvey Weinstein, uh, a cascading effect. A cascade? Well, starting with Bill Cosby. Well, true. You're right. You're right. Mm -hmm. We get a cascading effect from Harvey Weinstein to Ben Affleck to... Who just hey, everyone Kevin to Ru- Russell Simmons? Well, Russell Simmons comes after actually. Yeah, to Al Franken, John Conyers, Roy Moore, and that's really big when we talk about the political landscape of sexual harassment. The thing is, oh though, wait, no, oh. let's not wait. Let's we got to give a special shout out to Bill O'Reilly. Oh Lord, do we? <laughs> no, yeah, because he's a sexual harass. Do we have to give him a shout out? Uh, no, no, uh, we need to highlight the fact that he's a predator. The thing is, all out of all those people you mentioned, right? The main people who are getting repercussions, the Harvey Weinstein, the Kevin Spacey, the Ben Affleck, the mm-hmm. Russell Simmons, are not people that are involved in politics. Are not people that are supposed to be representing the interest of the people. So a lot of questioning have been brought up about why this wave hasn't really reached the political sphere yet. In fact, it actually has as of this recording because just this, past, just this week, just a couple of days ago, Representative John Conyers, who is a black Democrat, longest serving member of the House, actually resigned amidst controversy about him settling different sexual harassment claims using taxpayer dollars. Oh, my God. Initially, when it was brought up, he took a very hardline stand saying he wasn't going to resign and that he wasn't going to allow this to tarnish his reputation. Then we had news that he was hospitalized for quote-unquote stress, and now that is his excuse for for leaving. He's saying that he is dealing with a lot of medical issues, and as a result, he's going to be resigning. He hasn't made a comment about whether or not this has to do with the sexual harassment, um, controversy, and scandal that he's currently embroiled in. And we know it is. But again, when we're living in times where the president of the United States himself has endorsed sexual assault and embolden the behavior of these other politicians, then this is what happens. This is a natural flow of events that happen from the president himself being involved in these types of allegations. And it's clear that from that moment, because even Donald Trump is back in the news saying that he's questioning the validity of the Acts of Hollywood tape where he mentions uh, grabbing grabbing the genitals of women without their consent. Without their consent. But... The fact that this is is both center, but then also at the periphery at the same time, in that everyone's thinking about it, it's the elephant in the room, but there isn't any action that is likely going to be taken as a result of that knowledge. And not only is he questioning the validity of these tapes, these tapes that have him on 
tape saying that he has done these non-consensual sexual acts, but also he's endorsing these politicians who have been accused and on a very wide landscape of sexual harassment. So, for example, he came up after the Roy Moore allegations and he said that he didn't believe them and he instead questioned the women. Which is a tool that we're seeing used particularly by folks that are in the Republican Party or and or seeking to join it. So Roy Moore is a particular example. Mm-hmm. Roy Moore is a special election candidate for senator in Alabama. We're waiting patiently for the special election, which is due to happen next week. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that multiple people have come to accuse him of sexually predatory behavior back when they were minors. Exactly. So at this <laughs> point, child predatory behaviors. Despite that... It, it looks like he's going to win. It looks like yeah, he's, he's neck and to, neck. And that's crazy because Alabama is such senator. a conservative state. And the and also another conundrum for me is that Roy Moore came forward and he said that he didn't support gay rights. And when he was talking about his issue with the trans bathrooms and such or mm-hmm. the gender neutral bathrooms is that he didn't believe that these people would not be able to stay away from children. So he implied that these individuals were child predators based upon their sexual orientation. And then these women come forward and say, okay, well, when I was a child, you were trying to perform sexual acts on me. Exactly. I mean, the the hypocrisy. The hypocrisy in the GOP, it literally is synonymous. It has layers. And don't don't layer. I'm not even going to I'm not even going to say just with the GOP. I'm going to get to the Democratic Party in a second. Oh, specifically. with No, no, that's that's real. No, for for sure. But but just to wrap the bow on on Roy Moore and, and this, you know, Senate race, the fact that the conservative values that we typically think of involve being pro-life that is being in defense of children, mm-hmm. right? The idea of, of, of this Christian evangelical purity notion about caring about the, the commandments and the scriptures mm-hmm. and living your life in accordance with those. Yeah, and not only that, most of these men are married, and this goes against the Bible in the fact that they're adulterers. I, I mean, Roy Moore literally had a rally in which he quoted from scriptures in a potential implicit reference to these, uh, these assault allegations. Instead of talking about those directly, he instead wanted to talk about the fact that we're a godless nation and that we're losing our faith and that we need to reclaim it. But you're not if we're, you're not being a good example. Exactly. Of, of you're that not exactly. When you're, you know, so that's one issue. And, and we'll wait and see whether or not he's elected. And we'll probably have more to say after that is decided. But I think it's important that we talk about this with regards to the Democratic Party in particular. The fact that Conyers has resigned is a good thing to me. Mm-hmm. But I also think we have to talk about why there's so much resistance to this in the Democratic Party. One, when it comes to race, but secondly, when it comes to dealing with the, the hypocrisy. So the fact that Conyers was accused of sexual assault has, has already been run through all of the press and has now resigned. It's very odd given the fact that before his scandal began, Senator Al Franken was in the throes of a sexual assault, sexual harassment scandal of his own involving pictures of him attempting or, or miming to fondle someone's breast, right? That's only one incident that we've seen because other accusers have come out. 
despite all of that, we have Senator Franken saying, I'm not planning to resign. We have women of SNL writing a letter in support of him. Mm. We also have Nancy Pelosi, members of, of the D- Democratic Party, not really taking a hardline stance on that. Whereas when it comes to Republicans, when it ta- comes to Donald Trump and Roy Moore, and, and actually there are new Republicans that are coming, uh, that are getting different scandals of their own, it's clear that the pressure is partisan. The Republicans are, are being harder on Democrats. The Democrats are being harder on Republicans when this shouldn't be a partisan issue at all. It should be about exactly. the fact. These men should be losing their jobs when these allegations. Are, exactly. Clean exactly, house. Exactly. Because if we're looking at it from a social uh, viewpoint, when Harvey Weinstein, Matt Lauer, Charlie Rose and so on and so forth came out, it became a. PR and economic issue for these companies and these corporations, and they immediately departed themselves from these men. But when the accusations come out for members of Congress, they are hanging on to their jobs by a thread, and they're defending themselves, and they're being defended by their parties as though this isn't an egregious act that needs to be disciplined. So just this week, we had Donald Trump officially, unequivocally endorse Roy Moore for Senate. And part of that was a bald-faced assertion that he would prefer a Republican in the Senate simply for the fact of being able to push his initiative, exactly. push his agenda. Exactly. Despite the fact his, that... His very flawed agenda that hasn't been able to do anything since uh, he's been in office. And, 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 and everyone has been relying on the plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. The fact that he says that he didn't do it is apparently enough for them. Because idea, he's a good Christian man. The idea of, of the need for quote-unquote due process, which itself is, is not necessarily applicable in this context because the process for investigating and handling these matters, if you are a member of Congress, is completely different, right? And actually has questions of due process for the people who were survivors and or victims of sexual harassment and assault. But the fact that we're using this kind of middle ground muddying of the waters to prevent people from taking action is something that's happening both on the Republican and the Democratic side. Yeah, so if it's happening with politics, then think about how, if we were thinking about trickle-down theories the Republicans love talking about, how it's going to trickle down socially and mm-hmm. how what this means for the narrative of women and sexual assault in America where women have been fighting so hard for these rights and for agency over their bodies. And I think that this is a very frightening time to be a woman in the United States of America. I think despite it being very frightening, it also can be very empowering. Today, we saw that uh, Time Magazine has chosen as the the quote-unquote person and or people of the year as the people who were breaking the silence. So they Mm -hmm. look at the Me Too movement. They look at all of the women who have come out recently, and also the men, Terry Crews is featured as well, mm-hmm. talking about instances of sexual harassment and sexual assault mm-hmm. and speaking openly about these issues. So I'm, I'm happy that Time Magazine decided to bring the light to that. I also think as kind of a, you know, wrapping a bow on this entire point is people have been asking the question, why specifically is Congress kind of immune to these pressures? Well, it's truly ca- because... historically, Congress mm-hmm. is just lowered... It's slower to respond to these things than the private sector. And I think that that is because they want to protect their own initiatives. They want to protect the people that they placed in office because these people are pushing their agenda, like you said earlier. Mm -hmm. I think it's even simpler than that. I think it's the fact that they are the lawmakers. Exactly. And that that term has meaning here, right? (laughs) The fact that you want to hold them accountable to laws that they have created 
themselves. They are the ones that are crafting these laws. In fact, they're the ones creating their own processes for dealing with internal investigations. So it's trying to put the test maker through their own test. Exactly. And that is never going to work in the way that you want it to. They're not going to hold themselves accountable in the same way that they will hold other people accountable. And so it really is on us to make sure that we keep this on the forefront, we make sure that news cycles continue to talk about the issue of sexual assault and sexual harassment, specifically in Congress, specifically in the pol- political realm, and that we make sure that it isn't a partisan issue, that we say, yes, if you are accused of this, if people feel that there's credible evidence and there's mounting allegations of this. Mounting regard- allegations, exactly. This is not just one or two women. These are It's like five, six and beyond women coming forward with these allegations. Exactly. And that's not even to say that we need numbers to make that happen. But the fact that we are, are so quickly to default to someone being um, in, in this in this issue of, of, of violence, right, we think of this as being solely objective when we need to make sure that we understand the context of this, that sexual violence and rape culture are things that are very prevalent. Very prevalent. So, and they've so, been prevalent in politics, especially since the days of George Bush. So send a prayer for these folks. Here's hoping that we can actually purge Congress of folks that are predatory, that are committing acts of sexual harassment and assault, and that we can bring in folks that care about women. We can bring in women themselves. The folks that care about the laws that they make, firstly. And secondly, let's actually just sit here and take a time to purge sexual assault in general. Amen. So let's get into some news coming out of Tennessee. Bree, what's going on? So members of the baseball team at Haywood High School were caught on Snapchat, snapping each other, talking about hanging in words, as you know, the negative phrase referring to black people, up, talking about lynching. Making an example of one black person Oh, yes. Making it. Oh, my God. Making an example of one black person. And they were basically given a slap on the wrist by school administrators. Yeah, I, I read somewhere that initially the punishment was that they were going to write a paper on this. <laughs> and people, someone on, on uh, Twitter put up the, the Simpsons chalkboard meme with Bart writing over and over <laughs> again. I will not, you know, be racist or whatever. Exactly. But yeah, I, the, yeah, the fact that we're dealing with this, right? Yeah. And so basically there were no repercussions for these students. And... Everyone else started protesting, rightfully so. Students started by just straight up walking out of class and saying, okay, well, we're not going to be a part of this school at this point until these students are penalized for their racist and destructive behavior. Because it's unsafe. It's actually literally an unsafe violent environment. Exactly. At a time where black students are being found rolled up in gym mats by, by sports teams and whatnot, this is a very unsafe culture when this type of action is condoned and at this point facilitated because there are no demands being met and there are no repercussions being given. Well, news coming out is showing that the student protest was actually very successful. I remember seeing pictures mm-hmm. of it on Facebook Live, um, and it looked really great. I was it very happy awesome. that folks yeah. were doing walking it. Walking out of class. Yeah. Walking straight out of class. And so it looks like the demands that the protesters made were, were in large part met, and they're very pleased with the result. From what we're seeing, it looks like they've agreed to, to not give any repercussions to students that protested that walked out of class. There's not going to be any penalty for them missing class or homework or anything like that. 
that. The vice, the principal and the vice principal both are now on unpaid suspension. And let's just stop and talk about the let's fact that unpaid suspension. You're not getting nothing. Unpaid representatives who wrong community members intentionally are given unpaid. I'm gonna highlight that again. <laughs> suspension. No there cash. we go. They're not getting a vacation. You're getting unpaid suspension for discriminatory behavior. And it's probably based in part on that uh, write a 10-page paper. At that point, they're recognizing that there is an issue and they are saying, okay, well, this derogatory behavior happened and we're only doing the minimum to penalize these students. And so Exactly. Yeah. Also, the superintendent of the, the school district um, actually is now promising to take action against these baseball players. Initially, I remember seeing another uh, post that came out. I don't know if this was like if this has been corroborated or not, but it looked like after they had been, you know, uh, you know, charged, quote unquote, sentenced with uh, this 10 page paper that they were actually laughing about that itself and saying, oh, we didn't get in trouble for this. So it's all good. So it looks like wow. despite all of that, they're still being trash. Like they, like they don't care. And if there aren't actual repercussions brought, they're not going to think about this in any meaningful critical way about how their actions are affecting other people. Not that they will after the fact anyway. I mean, if you're going to write something like that, I feel like in a lot of ways you've had Yeah, that had behavior, exactly. That behavior is definitely entangled within your thought process. That's how you think. If you, you're racist, you're racist. But, you know, that has nothing to do with me. I just have, <laughs> <laughs> I have an issue of the effects that it has on the other students in the school. I'm worried about the black population in general who were at the, at the bullet of these threats. And, and that's all I have to say about that. But what do you think real reper- repercussions should look like for these students? I mean, I think expulsion. That expulsion. isn't really a solution in part because these students are in high school and apparently they're going to need to get like a, like a no. formal secondary education at some point. No, I mean, you can, but, you, can expel, you can expel them and send them to another school. Right. But, but that's like, that probably doesn't solve the issue in as much as it changes the venue of it. You know what I mean? No, like, I know. It, it might not solve the issue of race. I mean, they're pro- yeah. we're, in general, we're not going to be able to not make these students racist. They're racist. That's what they are. But it does put a dent in, I think, their career, at least. I mean, if you have an expulsion on your record trying to get into college, then mm-hmm. that's a problem, and especially if they have to explain it, which they would have to explain right. why they got that expulsion. So it definitely does something. I'm looking for the systemic reform that they can actually bring, and I'm hoping that the superintendent can do that, perhaps by bringing in new staff that can actually develop programs systemic for, for these is issues. Important. Exactly. E- exactly, because it's not even about these students in particular. Like, I don't care what they actually do with their lives or whether they're suspended or not. I care about the the students who were targeted by this, right? To make sure that they have the resources that they need, if there are counseling services available, if there are any programs that can be put into place to make sure that despite all of these injustices that they deal with and all of these forms of systematic violence, that they're able to push through. They're able to maintain, you know, their, their social life and their academic life and that these things don't slowly kind of eat away at them in a, in a lot of really detrimental and, and life-changing ways. Mm-hmm. So shout out Black Power Fist up to folks out in Tennessee putting in the good work. Shout out to the student body at Haywood High who protested. And we're just, we're, let's just see how long these folks don't get paid. Let's see when they end up coming back. Exactly. <laughs> I right, let's get into the pity. 
what's petty? What's petty today, Bree? Petty, petty. Uh, I don't know. Should we start with Beyonce or should we start with Malia? You said Beyonce like it's it, like it's her headline. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, it's let's talk it. about let's 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 get into Colin Kaepernick, but then also Beyonce because of course she's Beyonce. <laughs> yeah. So this week, Sports Illustrated recorded its Sports Person of the Year award show. It actually hasn't been broadcast yet, but we have news based on the folks that were actually at the event. And at the event, Colin Kaepernick received the Muhammad Ali Legacy Award for all of the amazing work he's been doing with regards to racial justice, both on TV and off TV, on the field and off the field, in the community. At the event, Colin Kaepernick received the award from the one and the only Beyonce Noel Carter. Yeah, she actually surprised everyone and made an appearance just to present the award to Colin. So that was awesome. And so her speech itself was really great. Uh, She she thanks Colin for all the work Mm -hmm. that he's been doing. One comment that she made that I think is going to make waves and actually probably already have is she said that when we protest racism it's so ingrained in american culture that when we tar- oh, try to protest it we're protesting america thank you queen b that's it thank you queen b and she went on to also defend colin kaepernick and say this is not about you know being rude to veterans or being rude to the flag this is all about black empowerment and, and, and bringing black folks I'm to happy. the forefront and i'm happy that she also mentioned that he's changing the perception because people are actually realizing at this point that racism and discriminatory practices are so embedded in the flag that when we protest them that they think that we're protesting the flag which is the argument against these kneelers protesting exactly so colin kaepernick accepted the award they had a really beautiful moment he thanked the people. He said that this award was for the people and that regardless of his NFL platform, he was going to continue doing this work. The thing is, as a result of all of this, <sighs> the folks are pressed. Pressed. Panini. Pressed. So let's start with Tommy Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she decides that she's going to take her messy, petty... Uninformed. Uninformed... Ju- Dirt, dirt, cell. (laughs) 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 On Twitter, her favorite platform, because you know she got fired from her show. She still don't have a network, does she? No, she doesn't have a network, thank Mm. God, because I'm sick of listening to her. Well, I'd never listen to her, but I'm sick of hearing about her. And she tweeted, and I quote, Police hating Beyonce prisons police and America hating Cappy. Oh, and, word. Oh, and Cappy. The, the, the nickname. Oh. That actually feels oh, like that, Now the, the pet name. Cappy. A, and it's like a young a boy name. That's a slur. That's that sounds a, like a slur. A slur. That's Continue. A slur. With a legacy. And mind you, she put quotes around legacy award as if to, as if to discredit it. Mm-hmm. This is how far we have fallen. Wow. That's what. Uh, word. Yeah, that's what. I mean, that's how far racists have fallen. That's how far racism has exactly shook. <laughs> and and the fa- and we have fallen far. We have, and we can see that from that tweet. We've fallen so far away from egalitarianism and equality initiatives. And and mind you, this has never been a thing, but it's actually been a thing that people recognize that these initiatives need to be put into practice. Right. That people are actually going back and forth about the fact that this guy is kneeling about what's going on in America as opposed to hate. And this is something that actually... This is, this is actually the rhetoric right now. That it's, oh, they're police-hating people. They're America-hating people. 
And oh, this has been going on for a while too. And actually, I remember when it was released that Colin Kaepernick was going to be a part of the Time Person of the Year kind of you know nomination process, and people were pissed that it wasn't J.J. Watt, who is a defensive end, I think, for the Texans, my hometown team, um, because J.J. Watt obviously did a lot of great work with Hurricane Harvey relief, yep. raised millions of dollars um, through fundraising. And it actually looks like he ended up winning an award at this event, too, right? So it's not even like he's been for, uh, overshadowed by Colin Kaepernick. But I remember folks saying, how are you going to give it to this America-hating Colin Kaepernick when, exactly. when J.J. Watt is our American beacon and he's the epitome of, of white America? And what is you know, that, like, though? <laughs> that, what does that look like? Like, I, Okay, so I just read this book for one of my classes on post-racial query, and mm. it's by Patrick Buchanan. And this is a guy who's on, um, who's a Republican, and he was a former contributor, but he was dismissed, I think, because of his con- contribution of, of this book. And in the book, it's it's death of a superpower, and it talks about how America has shifted so far away from its cultures, and he's basically mourning America. And this is an, uh, this is not current America that we're working on, and I can honestly say that we're working on if we're going to have an honest conversation about that. But he's mourning this non-diversified and unaccepting America that is naturally attached to whiteness. And then he attaches that whiteness, this collective identity um, to Christianity, which implies a sort of superiority. Mm. And so he shows that there, that he believes still that there is primacy in whiteness. And it just shows what it shows. I think the message behind what people say when we are post America, when we are falling from America, mm. then I think that they're really worried that we're falling from whiteness. Oh, of course. Like, exactly. that's what they're really scared about. I, I even wonder if J.J. Watt was to coordinate with Colin Kaepernick on this project, would that bring Colin Kaepernick up in the mind of, of racist white America or bring J.J. Watt down? You know what I mean? Like, uh. like, like who's, who's clout and leverage is more powerful in that regard when it comes to you know, white racist folk who think Colin Kaepernick is the devil, but think J.J. Watt is like, you know, the, this, you know, amazing angelic figure. As if they both but, aren't doing amazing things. Do you work. see when they get mad at, they get mad at someone automatically, they do as we should do too, go after the economy. So you saw when Beyonce came and gave this guy the award, ah. her sales dropped with the perfect uh, duet that she just did with Ed Sheeran. I did notice that. That was what I thought was really funny. I saw that on Twitter. So Exactly. And so that's what we need to start doing. Once they start doing things, we need to stop watching their show, stop listening to their music, stop uh. downloading their music. No, seriously. So it's still top number one. And it should, I... as it should be. If you have not heard that <laughs> amazing and life-changing prophetic duet... By Beyonce and Ed, go listen to it. You can go check it out. Perfect duet with Ed Sheeran and Beyonce. Though people were noticing that immediately after the news came out on Twitter that the ranking was was in the red, meaning that people were starting to like listen to it less. Like immediately after that, it was going to go down in the charts. Even though it is, it's still number one now. So maybe well, it didn't work. I'll keep it as number one. Honestly, I play it every day. <laughs> I'll continue to play it every day. It just goes to show, like, I mean, obviously people, like, they express their opinion through their money and through, you know, their with their feet, right? But in this case, I guess with their ears because of what they listen to. <laughs> but it's just, it goes to show just how standing for racial justice itself 
if, if enough for people to be pissed and to show that frustration in really odd ways, such as I'm not going to listen to this great song because mm-hmm. I think that you care about I'm going song. to protest you because you're protesting your injustices. Right. Yeah. That's that's that logic. <laughs> logic. <laughs> so Malia. All right. Free Malia. Free Ma- Seriously. No, that. No, seriously. Free Malia. I'm upset. I'm most upset. I'm upset that the video. Ca- okay, let's just. I'll what get, happened? Right, what happened? Right. I'm so, Malia Obama has a track record already of having a lot of her private business spilt all over just the Just her tea just be spilt. And it looks very clear that it's like from people who she trusts or, and or are, are in close proximity to her. Because they're always like a Snapchat exactly, video. Exactly. Snap- it's always like a, like a goofy caption about like, oh my God, she's doing this. Or oh my God, like. Look at what Malia's doing. Malia can't do anything without being on the shade room or some source relative. She can't twerk. The girl can't smoke weed. <laughs> the girl can't do nothing. It's so he, that free Malia. Here's the news. So, a couple weeks back, we had the Harvard-Yale football game. It's an annual tradition. It's an event where a lot of alumni come back, a lot of partying. I ended up going to it. It was at Yale this year. It was fun. It was a rainy weekend. Apparently... So with Malia Obama. She must have taken the trip out there from Harvard uh, to go and celebrate. It's, uh, especially if you're starting your first year of college, I'm sure it's a really fun event for you to go to. People actually said we walked past her. I didn't see her, but people were screaming next to me. Like, oh, my God, that's Malia Obama. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> so apparently we walked by her. It looks like she was in the company of some untrustworthy folks while at the Harvard-Yale game. Because yet another video has come out of her doing things that are actually pretty normal, but that are scandalized and politicized because she is the, one, a black girl, and then two, the child of a former president. uh, Wait, the former first black president. Right. Exactly. First of all, I'm not going to sit here and endorse or rebuke smoking weed. Um, That's, you know, your personal business or whatever. I am. It's going legal to, in Massachusetts. It's legal too, in. Ma- so, it's so exactly. Like, first of all, it's it's a very legal act. If and you and get into how it. many college students? Exactly. Okay, we're not even gonna get into you that. Know? Weed is weed, and it, whatever it, and about it. Weed, it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's it. That's all I'm gonna say about that. But I will sit here and rebuke in the name of Jesus <laughs> all of Malia's friends or whoever. I'm not even calling her her friends. All the people she is letting in her circle, close enough to her to put her business on a what is really a global stage. Oh yeah, <laughs> she was the former first black president's daughter. It's sad. It's intrusive, and it needs to stop. I'm just like, whose fault is it? Is it Secret Service? Are they not yeah, minding what? her business exactly. enough? Is but it the that, thing is, they can't mind her business too much, you right? Know? Like, how would you feel if you went to college and you couldn't even have like friends around you right. who use Snapchat and stuff? But at this right. point, baby, you need to be collecting phones. But that just means, look, <laughs> like, that just means the Secret like Service phones. needs to be on her side. That means because you know that like celebrities got bodyguards where like they're about to be at a party and they'll pick up everyone's phones. No, that no, it actually happened. Make they them sign an the NDA. The phone at the door. Exactly. Look, when it's NDA. NDA. Exactly. In fact, we can do it. Non-disclosure, baby. I'm gonna write it for you. Let's do. That. No, I'm actually going to write in for you and send it to you. What's, <laughs> how I, because how that's all she contact? needs. What's your email address? That's all she needs. Is the no. lawsuit is immediate at that point. If you want to spill tea on me. She's going to have to go and sue everybody. But then again, I think that that we, we're targeting the wrong issue still. We're right. mad at the fact that these people are spilling tea as opposed to the fact that these people are scrutinizing this young college girl for doing things that all young college people do. Right. It's important that we add context to this because Malia is only the latest in a long line of presidential daughters mm-hmm. who have been scrutinized by the press for things that they did or did not do. That were completely normal. That were completely they normal and innocuous. Yeah. And it's just like, 
I just mind think your that, business. You I think know? I think that it's just more intentional and egregious when it's happening to Malia because I think that people are actually trying to defame her because if, Barack Obama is pro- the first president in my lifeline that went through the presidential administration without any scandal. Of course, exactly. exactly. And so, and so it, it's very clear to us, at least, that. When it comes to Malia Obama and having the the protection of a community, it might be great for her to have some some more black friends. You know, I, I no, just, do. You, do you think it's the lack of black friends, or just the lack I, of good friends, and all the lack of friends? Like you know, she's got associates. Every got Snapchat I've seen of her doing something that that may not you know be the smartest thing to do on film. It has involved white folks in the background laughing and jeering and, and turning the camera onto themselves makes to see, me are, sick are you to getting my this? Stomach. That you know? makes me sick to my stomach, honestly. Where is Malia? I'm about to reach out to her. <laughs> we need to bring on Malia for a quick intervention. Exactly, for a quick intervention at this point. Not even in her behavior, just with her, her friend group. I mean, it, it should be on us to protect Malia while we're out here. Like, I'm running through the, the yard every so often. I'm like, where is Malia? Can I, I give can, can I give her some quick her. advice? You know, d- does she need someone to... She needs, like, an enforcer, like a bodyguard. You know, if she needs somebody to, like, run up, you know? Like, I would totally be down to do that. <laughs> I, well, I couldn't do all that. I'm um, I'm a petite woman. I mean, you could. Let's not let's not play. You would do it for Malia, though. I would do it for You would run up if, if someone need... Okay. I would do it for Just Malia. making sure. <laughs> You already know. I'm me. out here to protect Malia. Okay? To I'm stop. out here for these stop. Malia queens too. No, you know? I know, right? I'm a Malia stan. I'm trying to stand for my girl. Alrighty, y'all. That's been a great episode. Yeah, I enjoyed this. I had so much fun. I missed doing this. This is great. I'm so happy that we're back in the studio. That finals hasn't kicked our butt so bad that we haven't been able to produce anything for you. Check back with me in about a week. No, seriously, check back after my Fed Courts final, and you might see a whole different me. Oh my god, I I might be in an entirely different mindset. So we're about to head out for the holidays. So we just wanted to give you a quick programming note. We're going to be working on some other episodes and some other interesting content for you while we're on break. We have vacation up until the spring semester begins, which is at the end of January. So once we get back in February, once we get our schedules coordinated and back in order, then we'll come back. And by that point, hopefully Donald Trump will be impeached and we'll have to, you know, we'll have to struggle with all this anymore. Yeah. Here's hoping. Send a prayer. Yeah, by the time we get back, he'll be impeached, honestly. So. Christmas miracle, you know? <laughs> Mueller, hurry up. That's the gift, that's the gift of Christmas, Mueller not the tax baby. bill. It's that impeachment. It's them impeachment All papers. All I want for like, Christmas <laughs> is Ooh, that was good. <laughs> impeachment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See you next time, guys. Thank, thank y'all.